Well, good evening, St. Nick's. It's great to be speaking to you this evening. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the clergy here at St. Nick's. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Why Church? That's our series at the moment. What are we doing here? Maybe for the last half an hour, you've been wondering, what am I doing here? Well, that's what we've been looking at together over the last few weeks. What are we about? What are we a part of? What is it that we're doing when we gather here on a Sunday or on days throughout the week? What are we doing? And Matt kicked us off in week one looking at celebration in the city what it means for us to gather together for worship and for teaching. Then last week, Toby carried on looking at connection in the community, the power that there is when this diverse, unique family gathers together in homes, in hubs, around tables, to invest in one another, to encourage one another, and champion one another. This week, we're carrying on looking at communion, hence the table. Communion, the power, the purpose, and the promise therein. What is this meal that we celebrate? What does it mean, and why is it important to us? Also, while we're recapping over the last few weeks, I don't know if you've noticed, but a few of our team have been experiencing some mid-preach technical difficulties in the last few weeks. Week one, Matt got locked out of his iPad when it hit 7pm because of the child lock that he'd put on and a code that he had then forgotten. Then, uh, then week two, last week, Toby found mid-preach that one of the pages of his notes said error message, QR72, rather than the notes he was expecting and had to freestyle it from there. So guys, I don't want to set myself up for failure, but it looks like as long as I can get from the start of my preach to the end of it without losing my notes, I should be well in for a shot at employee of the month. <laughs> As I've said today, we're talking about a specific part of our worshipping life together. What we do when we gather, communion, the sharing of bread and wine at the Lord's table in the celebration of Jesus. Maybe all those phrases make sense to you, maybe none of them do. Maybe for you it's like a high point of your discipleship, of your walk with Jesus. It's a moment where you can be still and remember all that Jesus has done for you. Maybe it's just a weird thing that some people in your primary school were allowed to do when the nuns came in for assembly. I don't know. I wonder what it is that comes to your mind when you think of the word communion. As many of you will know, throughout my curacy here at St. Nick's, I've also been supporting and serving in another church on the other side of the city. And communion for them forms a really big core part of their worshipping pattern, their church life. They celebrate it every week together. And one such week I was leading the service and they use a lot of liturgy and uh, rhythm throughout their service and I was kind of mid-flow when a couple of young lads uh, in balaclavas ran in at the back of church. One of them shouted the rudest word you can imagine and then they ran straight out the other door. I can see some of you are trying to work out what that word is. Don't, you're in church, I will remind you. But anyway, like a true professional, I was unbroken. I carried on completely unfazed. I introduced the peace, which is the bit of our service we call the hello moment that we've just done together. And maybe you've been in a more traditional context where you've seen that. Uh, a lot of people going around shaking hands with one another. Maybe that's familiar. Uh, but that is the kind of the classic peace 
And the point of that moment is that having done the confession, where we've confessed our sins, we've come to God and we've said, look, these are the things that are going on in my life that are wrong. We receive God's forgiveness. There's then this moment as we move towards the communion table where we receive Jesus, there's this moment we have to make peace with one another. You know, like in the Bible where it says, you've been forgiven much, so forgive much. It's this moment where you can come together with the people in your community that maybe you need to reconcile with and forgive one another, bring things together, forgive one another, receive reconciliation, make peace. It's a beautiful moment. And having set off this moment in the church, there's this moment where you say, um, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And everyone says, and also with you. And then you say, share a sign of that peace with one another. And everyone sets off to shake hands with everyone and share that peace. So I thought, right, they're going to be doing this for five minutes. I've got time. I can see the two lads still lurking by the door again. So I'm like, right, while they're doing this, I'm going to go back. I'm going to chat to the lads and try and avert another flavoursome outburst. So I went outside and I chatted to the lads. They're about 14, 15. And I said, look, boys, you're so welcome here. You're so welcome here. You will always be welcome here. This is your church. You can come in. You can join in. You can sit at the back and eat all the biscuits if you want. You're so welcome here. We are for you. But it's pretty disrespectful to intentionally try and disturb everyone else's worship. So please don't do that again. They actually understood and apologized. Wow, my teacher wife would be so proud of me. And... uh, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, so they, they apologize. They say they're going to go. I turned to go back into church where I'm met by congregation member X, who says, those two need a damn good smacking. I said, no, 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 no. They're just young lads. We don't know what their situation is at home, but we do know that they live in a community that's been systematically abandoned by the city. There's nothing for them to do other than to cause trouble. They don't know any different. They're just bored. And what we need to do is show them the love of Jesus. They need to know that the church is for them. They need to know that they're welcome here. They need to know that this is a safe place for them, and it always will be. And you know that. He said, no, what they need is a damn good smacking, and so do their dads. I'll do it. (laughs) Anyway, peace be with you, vicar. (laughs) It's an extreme example, I know. But how easy is it to separate the practice from the heart? How easy is it to separate the symbol from what it symbolizes? This meal, this table, is a symbol of something deep in the heart. The second we lose the heart, it's completely pointless. It is all about your heart. So that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. What we're doing, what the heart of this meal is, what it is we celebrate. Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians 11. It's going to come up on screens or grab your Bible. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. In it, Paul writes this, For what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, In my blood, 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So first, when we come to this table, we come to celebrate communion with God. We come to celebrate communion with God. And when I say communion here, I don't mean this meal of bread and wine. I mean communion, togetherness, union, sharing. We come to celebrate union with God. At this meal, we focus on the sacrifice of Jesus. We're invited to partake in the body and blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples as he held the bread, this is my body, which is for you. As he held the cup, he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. In this meal, we proclaim something right at the heart of the gospel. The death of Jesus, the greatest act of sacrificial love the world has ever or will ever know. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this, whilst talking about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. He says, but when Christ came as the high priest of all the good things that are now already here... He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God. Jesus gave himself for you. The God of the whole universe gave himself for you. To meet you in your brokenness and bring you freedom and healing from the things that keep you trapped. His body and his blood was given for you. When we receive communion, your server will say, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. When we come to the table, we come to remember the sacrifice, the cost of God's grace. It's why people are often moved to tears in the moment. It's why I'm often moved to tears at the moment. Because it's a moment to remember what Jesus did for you. It's a moment where I remember what Jesus did for me. And every time, there I am, back to that selfish, self-absorbed 17-year-old who did not deserve the grace of Jesus, but who Jesus met anyway. Being blown away by the fact that God himself loves me and gave himself for me. We come to the table to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the cost, the weight of it, And we come to celebrate what that cost means. God has been really speaking to me at the moment about what it means that in Jesus, all things are held together. That's from Colossians 1. Have you ever noticed that in Jesus, all these things that don't go together in the world, we seem seem to be held together in him. 
The same Jesus that spoke creation into being knelt down in the dirt and told the woman caught in adultery that he didn't condemn her. The same Jesus who calmed the storm with a word, fed 5,000 people with the power of prayer, healed the sick with a touch, looked up at the shame-filled Zacchaeus and said, come down, I want to share a meal with you. The same Jesus who conquered death, broke death, overcame the power and the weight of sin by his holiness and glory, turning death on its head and in doing so recreating all things, went and sat on a beach afterwards with his friends and barbecued some fish. There you go, just a little side note. That, that just shows us that barbecuing is the clearest identifier of living a resurrection life. If you want to live in the kingdom of God, then you should be barbecuing. There you go. You thought I was going to do a whole preach about talking about barbecuing, didn't you? But snaked it in there at the last minute. He is cosmic and personal. He is the Lord of all creation, but he listens to you when you pray. He is powerful and yet he is grace-filled. He is terrifyingly holy, and yet he comes close to you in your sin. He died for the whole world, and he died for you. And this table is one of those moments where we acknowledge that, we share that, we enter in to two things that are held together that are almost too much for our humanity to understand or to cope with. We come to the table in sorrow for the cost, but joy at the price. Sorrow for the cost, but joy at the purchase. Jesus' death and resurrection, which we celebrate at that meal, is exactly that, holding that tension of the cost of the cross, but the joy of the resurrection. The death and resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrate at this meal, in which Jesus overcomes death, Sin, the brokenness of the world, has paved the way for you to enter into joy, freedom, peace, and relationship with God because of Jesus. Because of his birth, life, death, and resurrection, you can experience union with God. As Jesus went to the cross, the curtain in the temple, the symbolic representation of distance between a holy God and a sinful, messy humanity was torn in two. It falls to pieces on the ground. Jesus invites you to step over the fragments of the curtain and into the loving presence of the Savior who gave himself for you. In our liturgy we say, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Jesus has paid the ultimate cost. Jesus has overcome sin and pain and death. And Jesus is making all things new. And he invites you into that. Because of the price Jesus paid, we can celebrate communion with God. When we come to the table, we celebrate communion with God. And when we come, we come to celebrate communion with one another. We celebrate union with one another. In the liturgy we say, before we take communion, these words that have been drawn out of Scripture and passed down through the generations, we pray, unite us in the body of your Son, our Lord. Unite us in the body of your Son, our Lord. We are united in the body of Jesus. 
Have you ever wondered what the shared cup is about? It's pretty gross, right? And it has pretty bad post-COVID PR. And what about these weird little identical wafers that seem to suck all of the moisture out of your mouth for like the next two days? What is that about? Well, it's because it shows something deep and profound about this family, the church. In the world outside, some people drink from a silver cup or a crystal glass, while some people drink from a cupped hand or an old plastic bottle. Out there, some people eat freshly baked seeded sourdough, and some people eat stale white sliced. So it is not to be in here. We eat one bread. We share one cup. Whether you live in a palace or you live on the street, whether your dining table is made of mahogany or is a stained bit of carpet, whether you ate a massive meal before you arrived at church or nothing at all, you need to come to the table of the Lord. You need the grace that you find there. You don't deserve to come. And yet Jesus invites you to come without price or qualification to feast on the riches of his goodness, the only thing in this world that matters or satisfies freely and without cost. Regardless of who we are, what we've done, how comfortable our life is, the pain that we bear, whether we feel squeaky clean or caked in shame, Jesus invites us to his table freely, without cost, without qualification. That's why we use these words passed down to us, um, because we do, so do our brothers and sisters around the globe. In churches, in public spaces of worship, in cities and towns throughout the world, gathered in houses, huddled in secret in basements, we share this cup with them the same as we do with one another. We are united in our need of this meal and in our celebration of it. What we do here, what we are here, it's not a club, it's not, it's not an interest group, it's not a gathering of like-minded people. This table is not empty, empty tradition or Christian culture. When we gather together around Jesus' table as one body, as one family, we subvert the broken natural order of this world. We wave the flag of the kingdom of God and we proclaim that what you see out there is not the way it is supposed to be. We pile fuel on God's signal fire of hope. One of the greatest privileges of my life has been to come forward to the communion table with addicts, with ex-offenders, with women who worked on the street, with the homeless, alongside lawyers, doctors, politicians, the great and the good, with the judges, and come together, come to the table together, to drink one cup, to share one bread, to receive the same grace that each of us need. Do you know what that says to the world? The world looks at that and it makes no sense because it says that all this stuff I've got, all this stuff that I think satisfies me, how is that homeless addict more satisfied and more joy-filled than I am? Or it says, what, all this stuff that I'm supposed to want to attain, all the riches and the fame, how come that person who's got all those things is saying they need this? It, answers, it asks questions that the world can't answer other than with the answer of Jesus. We need the grace of Jesus. We all need it. And he gives it to all of us freely. 
When we come forward to the table, we subvert the broken beliefs of this world and we proclaim that Jesus is all that matters. Jesus is all that we need, all that we want, the only thing that will satisfy. As we celebrate communion with God, we are united in the body of Jesus and in our need of him. So we're going to move into that celebration now. And as we hold that beautiful tension of sitting with the weight of what Jesus has done for us and the joy and the freedom of what that means, we come to acknowledge and recognize that we can have communion with God through Jesus and we can have communion with one another.